0: Hail and well met, I'm guessing you're wanting shelter from the storm, right? Well, it is a cold night out there, why don't you pull up a chair by the fire? I have just the thing to pass the time, a story. I call it a plague of reason. Welcome to the Lavender Tavern, my friend.
1: There was a land long ago that had been scoured of magic. It is strange to say, it is strange to believe, but there it was, a world without runes, without sigils, and even without potions. And yet, the sun and moon continued to rise, and the rains fell and the crops grew. Nothing lay beyond the veil they called reality, except for more reality. How did this happen? How it usually happens, with the decision by one man. That man saw mages and witches and warlocks grow strong and powerful across the land. He witnessed wars between armies with magic in their ranks, laying waste to entire castles and even mountains. And he decided that this would end. The man stirred fear and anger and hatred in the breasts of his fellow men and women, and one night, when the mages and witches and warlocks slept the sleep of the Magical, they slaughtered them and their families, all of them, men, women, and, yes, children. In the books and scrolls that came to be written, this great day was known as the Restoration. There was a school at the northernmost tip of the land that stood in a field of clover, and so it was called the Clover Academy. Before the Restoration, the Clover Academy had taught flight and invisibility and fireballs and all manners of spells. After the Restoration, instructors started teaching how to read and write glyphs, how to tell which plants were edible and which were not, and how to cure those with maladies of the heart and the mind. The miraculous, blinding light of magic was replaced with the constant, warm illumination of science. And a hundred years passed. It is always a century or a millennium before anything momentous occurs, for the gods like round numbers, just as we do. Great wet flakes of snow fell in spirals around the Clover Academy. In a chilly turret that student wizards had once used to unleash magical projectiles upon the commons, a portly man in professor's robes opened the small door and let a younger man in. The portly man's name was Sorrel, and he had taught physical sciences at the academy for the last twenty years. He had the spectacles and narrow eyes of a scholar who had spent too much time reading by the light of a flickering candle. The young man... Thin and so tall that he had to duck under the transom to enter, was named Edric. He had been Sarl's student eight years earlier. He wore no spectacles, and his eyes were clear. But the years had already begun to etch lines of intellect into his forehead. And now I step back in silence, for it is their words that tell this story, not mine. It has been a long time, Sorrel said, and settled his frame into the leather hide-covered chair behind his desk. I received your letter. Edric nodded, head bopping up and down atop a long neck. Good, good, he replied, then nothing. Sorrel knew the ways of students, and former students, how they became shy in the presence of their professors. Come now, he coaxed. You wrote to me and asked if you could visit and seek advice? The lump in Edric's throat lurched up and down as he swallowed. Yes, yes, you have been on my mind of late. To Sarl, this came as no surprise either. Many young men had had infatuations with their professors over the years, and the schoolmasters always warned of the foolishness of indulging such nonsense. Sorrel knew that he was not an attractive man, nor a commanding man, though even he had received his share of propositions over the years. So long after graduating, though? I am partial... To men, Edric said after a while. Yes, Sorrel thought. I have the professor's gift of anticipating the student's train of mind. But this was awkward. And even though years had passed, Edric was still, and would always be, his student. Silence was Sorrel's best response, and he waited. I like men, Edric said, then elaborated. I am attracted to them? F- fond of them? He blushed. And I do not wish to be Ah this was simpler than infatuation, but more complex in its own way. Edric, fetch me that bench from the corner, Sorrel ordered. When Edric had complied, he asked the young man to turn it so that his back was facing the professor's desk. Sorrel had found that men and women of all ages were more likely to speak their minds, and the truth, if they did not have eyes directly upon them. Sorrel saw Edric relax slightly, and then asked him to tell him more. "'It's as I said,' Edric stammered, and Sorrel could see the flush on the tips of his ears and back of his neck. "'When I was a child, all of my friends were boys.' "'That is not unusual,' I only wanted their company, Edric went on. I had no interest in girls or women when I grew older. He looked at the snow falling behind the window with what seemed like longing. I felt more for my male friends than they did for me. Did you follow your inclinations while you were at the academy? Sorrel probed. Edric shook his head. No, no. I heard Master Pritchard's talk, the one he gives every year. I was a good boy. Then, laughing bitterly, until I graduated and went home. Then I met a young man. Marcus. His voice took on a thoughtful quality. We were of like minds. And like bodies, no doubt, Sorrel thought. Did he break your heart? If only it were that easy! Edric's hands gripped the arms of the bench. "'No. My parents found out about us. Found us. Together.' He shook his head. "'We were in love. So foolish, taking risks. They bade me leave their house.' "'You have not been wandering the land all this time, I hope?' Sorrel asked. "'I have an aunt now. My mother's sister. She's a strange one. Strange but sweet.' She asked me to stay with her. Now it's her, me, and her faithful friend, Lady Charlotte. And Marcus? Edric placed his hands in his lap in seeming resignation. He wants to be a priest. Nobody could know. He had to choose between the temple and me. And it was the temple, Sorrel concluded. The professor sighed. I have seen male animals coupling with male animals in the farms and barns of this world. As a professor of the physical sciences, I say that this seems to be a natural occurrence, though a rare one. There is more, Edric said. Sorrow waited and waited, but nothing more was forthcoming. Finally, he used the voice he reserved for wayward students and commanded Edric. Tell me! I think, Edric said weakly, I am certain. I believe that... that I have the ability of magic. Oh. Partiality to men was nothing serious, and quite common at the Academy, if Sarl was to admit it to himself. But this... ''You know, Edric,'' Sarl said gently, ''there is no such thing as magic. There has been no magic in the world since the Restoration.'' Edric shrugged, looking as if he wished to turn around. ''I did not study the Restoration. I know what anyone knows of it. But I still wonder. Could there be? Might there be?'' ''No.'' Sarl said flatly. "'Now his own hands were gripping the front of his desk. "'A delusion such as this. "'Could some have survived?' Edric mused. "'Gone into hiding a, a century ago?' "'Perhaps we may both take a step back "'and examine your case together,' Sarl said, not unkindly. "'I shall keep an open mind.' "'This, the smallest of lies.' Why do you believe you have the ability of magic? The dim light through the window had begun to slant across the small room, and it fell across Edric's drawn face. Signs! Signs and portents! Let me tell you. Can I turn around? Sorrel sighed. Now that the dam had broken, Edric seemed enthusiastic to speak. Face me, and tell me. A minute for Edric to swivel the bench around and seat himself again. Then, with an earnest expression on his face, I received a letter. A magical letter? Sorrel asked. You jest, of course. But the writer of the letters, name of Berend, he sent six of them, he predicted things, and they all came true. Go on, Sorrel said. Edric looked up at the ceiling and to his right, a sign that Sorrel knew meant he was recalling a memory. The first was a storm the following week, a terrible storm we had, unlike any other. First storm of the summer. Storms are not uncommon. The second letter. A merchant would visit from another land? This was a rarity in our town, but it happened three weeks later. Sorrel was starting to see a pattern. And the other four letters? That an animal would die, the bishop's cow passed away, then that a couple would fight at the tavern, then an apostate in the temple, and last, that the sun would be blotted out at midday, all of which came true. Did the writer of the letter seek anything? Gold? Property? Promises? Edric shook his head violently. Not a thing. I answered each letter, told Baron they'd come true, so he said I had a gift and that he would visit me. Sorrel could see that Edric yet retained his limbs and clothes, so Baron could not have made off with much. But still. Shall I tell you how he accomplished this wonder? Magic? Some may think it so, Sorrel said. I call it THE MAGIC OF NUMBERS. He stood and went over to the green-black slate on the wall. He rubbed it clean with the sleeve of his robes, then picked up the chalk and began to draw, talking as he did so. "'You mentioned six letters,' Sarl said. "'In fact, there were many more letters.' "'I do not understand.' The first letter he sent to thirty-two people, yourself included, in thirty-two separate towns or villages. This might have cost him a bit of gold, though I wonder that he did not have an accomplice in this scheme. Sarl wrote the number thirty-two on the slate. Perhaps half of the recipients saw a storm within a month. To those who wrote back, To tell him of this successful prediction, he sent sixteen letters predicting the merchant's visit. I wonder if this merchant might also have been an accomplice, but I shall not speculate. Sorrel wrote the number sixteen after the number thirty-two. Regardless, perhaps eight of you witnessed a merchant visit your town. To those eight, he sent a letter that an animal would die. Perhaps half of those readers were unlucky enough to have a cow or horse pass away in their towns. To those four, a letter predicted a fight in a tavern. And to the two who saw such a fight, a story of an apostate in the temple. True, those are all common events, Edric said, and Sarl was glad that the young man had remembered... Some of his teachings. But what of the sun, blotted out at noon, as I said? Every few years, in different places in the land, the sun is darkened for a while. We do not know the reason, although some suspect it is snuffed out momentarily like a candle, or that it is hidden by another object. Regardless, it is a predictable phenomenon." There are tables that have been drawn up, which show when these events occur. Your baron planned this series of letters to end with the blot of the sun. Sarl smiled and shook his head. My boy, I am afraid that of the thirty-two recipients of the letters, you were the only one fortunate enough, or unfortunate enough, to see a summer storm Have a merchant visit your town, witness a bishop's cow pass away, and all of the other events this man pretended to predict. Edric nodded slowly. Very well. Very well, but that was only the start. Then his belief ran deeper than he contemplated, Sorrel thought. This was troubling. I shall endeavor to assist you in the interpretation of any event you care to describe. You mock me, Edric said with a smile. But I appreciate your logic, he drew in a breath. I dreamed that my mother's mother would die. She did so, only four days later. Sorrow closed his eyes briefly. Had you seen her recently? he asked. Edric nodded. She lived with us, shared a room with me, since I was born. Had she seemed... different of late? Ill, perhaps? Not at all. It was very sudden. The dream worried me. I did not sleep for a week before she died. There it was, Cyril thought. Do you know why you could not sleep? He asked. Because of my ability for magic. That I knew she would pass away. "'You said that you could not sleep,' Sarl explained. "'I suspect that she was indeed ill, at least for the week before her passing. "'In my time of studying the ill and enfeebled, "'I noticed that those who were about to pass away often breathed heavily, "'or more lightly, or differently in some manner.' "'He exhaled and inhaled dramatically to demonstrate.' You, who slept in the same room with her from your birth, had accustomed yourself to her method of breathing. Once she began to slide towards the next life, her respirations changed and you could no longer sleep. This is possible, Edric admitted. I admit it is possible, but not all of my stories can be explained so easily. So he is not immune to reason, Sorrel thought. There is hope yet. He did not need to prompt Edric to continue. Baron arrived three weeks later. He had the air of a mystic about him. Airs are not evidence, Sorrel reminded him. No, Edric said, but he knew everything of me as if he'd been a friend since my childhood. Sarl nodded. May I attempt to divine what Baron told you about yourself? Sir, with all respect, you do not claim the ability of magic. Neither did Baron, Sarl said, and I shall prove it. Still standing, he paced before Edric, waving a hand at him as he declaimed, you are sometimes unsure of yourself, especially with those you do not yet know. When you were a child, you had an accident where water was involved. You need others to like you, but you are often critical of yourself. And you are left-handed. Edric looked startled. He did not, did not say exactly this, but some of it. How did you know? And how did you know I used my left hand? My dear Edric, Sarl thought. Eight years out of school, and still the innocence of a student. Everyone is sometimes unsure of themselves, particularly with strangers. Everyone seeks approval and blames themselves. It is a rare child who has not had an accident in their life. I would not be surprised if water was involved in some way or another. "'And my left hand?' Sorrow laughed. "'There I confess to Cheatin. "'I remember you well from your days at Clover Academy. "'When you would write a test of paper, "'the writing would always be smudged from your left hand, "'passing over the fresh ink. "'Baron told me I'd broken my right foot "'jumping from the roof when I was six. "'That is why I limp,' Edric said. "'He could not have guessed this so accurately.' I suspect Baron spoke with someone in your town on his way to visit you, Sarl said. I would be unsurprised if, when he asked about you, someone did not tell him this notable story. Edric seemed crestfallen. I trusted him. Sarl wondered was Baron a handsome man? Had there been Other reasons in the young scholar's mind to trust him? Did a stab of envy prick at him for a moment? What did you give him? Edric shook his head. I gave him nothing. He sold me something a a magical kit. Sarl nodded. He had seen such kits before. Wand's pendulums, black velvet inscribed with runes and glyphs, incense and candles that sparked and smoked. Did he do any magic with it? He hoped that Edric did not sense any mocking in his words, but the man seemed sincere in his reply. "No, that was for me to learn." He showed me something at the tavern that night, though. He shook his head in wonder. A man became a woman. Perhaps, Sorrel thought, there was a master list of trickery that every rogue consulted before proceeding on their campaign of deception. It would not surprise him. How was this accomplished? I know not. The bearded man stood in a far corner as we drank ale. Then I turned my head. A moment later, I turned back, and he was a woman, wearing still the same clothes and cap. You are aware that men often costume themselves as women in plays. And women as men, Sorrel said. Long hair, hidden under a cap, perhaps a beard made of wool. These are magic tricks, but those of a magician, not a wizard. Edric smiled suddenly. Master Sorrel, you were always of quick wit. Students were helpless against you. But I yet think I am of magical ability, and I yet plan to convince you. Then play on, Sorrel thought. Teaching was a lonely profession, and he maintained a professional distance from his students. A young, handsome, thoughtful man in his room was not unwelcome, even if the jousting was reasonably one-sided. Berend left the next day. I set up the kit in my room. That night, I concentrated on the pendulum, thought and thought, and it moved, Sarl finished for him. It started slowly, back and forth, then round and round. I could feel the power of my mind moving it, Edric said. Do you have any brothers or sisters? Sarl asked. Edric frowned. Three brothers, but the professor cut him off. "'I note that only you have been sent to Clover Academy, and not your brother's.' He reached forward and lifted the frayed cuff of Edric's tunic. "'Your family struggles with money,' Edric sputtered. "'I do not—' "'That is not—' "'Sarl was kindly. "'And that is why I suspect that your house is not well-built nor well-maintained.' that there are holes and cracks to let the wind in and that a summer of storms such as we had this year might well cause your magic pendulum to move of its own volition. Edric burst out laughing. Master, why did I come here? Cerel shook his head. I do not understand. With your gift of perception, you should have divined my inclination for men long ago. Yes, Sorrel thought. I should have. Should have seen the way Edric looked admiringly at me during classes. But that was a door long closed. He realized he was blushing. Rising to his feet, he offered Edric some tea. And between the steeping and pouring, it was several minutes before they were seated again. This time closer together and somewhat more intimate. I brought a dead creature back to life, Edric said shyly. Sorrel had taken a sip of the smoky tea, and now he spat it out in response. What say you? I knew it. If I went on long enough, you'd believe me. I will believe you when I hear the tale. Do tell it, Sorrel ordered. Edric leaned forward as if in confidence. There was a dog, the town's dog, belonged to no one and everyone. We all fed it. His name was Rascal. Rascal was old. I remember him from when I was a child. One day, a month or so after the pendulum, he collapsed in the middle of the main street. He did not breathe, did not move. The butcher, a a horrible man, wanted to take him for soup. You performed a resurrection, Sorrel asked in disbelief. I ran back home, picked up the wand, the quartz one. The kit said it had the power to imbue life. Edric smiled at the memory. I was back at the main street in minutes. Rascal was still there. I waved the wand once, twice, three times, waited, and then Rascal came to life. Sorrel rubbed his forehead with his index fingers. Did you touch him? he asked a bit wearily. Well, Edric considered it. At first there was no response. I gave Rascal a shake or two. Not more than that. Do you remember the term cataleptic stupor? Sorrel asked. Edric shook his head. And to think that you were one of the better students in my physical science lessons, Sarl sighed. It is a known fact that animals, and some men and women, may fall into an unknown state where they appear to neither breathe nor move. This state may last for some time. In most cases, it results in death, but sometimes the animal or person may be revived. He did not breathe, Edric said forcefully. You did not see him breathe, Sorrel said equally as forceful. I would more believe that an elderly dog should pass into a momentary stupor and be revived by your shaking him than I would believe that a rod of quartz could summon him back from whatever lies beyond our world. Sorrel saw Edric look at him differently. He was knocking away the columns that held up the young man's delusions, Sorrel thought. And perhaps brute force was not the best way to convince him. Sorrel was a professor, however, and the brute force of logic was the only tool he had. You have more, Sorrel went on. I can see the unsaid words in your eyes. Edric looked away. Your words ring true, but they do not feel true. Logic is a cold thing. But I shall go on. Still looking away, he continued. You have heard of the dancing sickness? Yes, Sarl said. At one time it ravaged the lands, to think that men and women dancing should wreak such chaos. I saw a dancing woman once. She had danced for hours and hours, and she looked exhausted. Her feet were bloody, and yet she could not stop herself, and she danced on. A farmer found a man wandering in his field, Edric said, dancing with the sickness. The town was afraid that all would become infected with it. They wanted to kill him. If you save this man through magical or worldly means, then I praise you, Sarl said, and saw the grateful look in Edric's eyes as he turned back to him. Indeed, it was the magic kit once more, Edric said. There were lists of incantations for tumors, for dropsy, for the plague, and one for dancing sickness. As the townspeople stood guard, I approached the man. His eyes were wild, clothes ragged, I looked him direct in the eye and spoke the incantations, slowly and deliberately. And then, he danced no more. His reason returned. I have no doubt that you accomplished this, Sarl said, and Edric beamed. It was a wonderful achievement that you performed. At last! Are you willing to acknowledge my ability of magic? Edric asked. Sorrel shook his head. I am willing to acknowledge your ability of suggestion. I suggested nothing. The incantations! You spoke slowly and directly. You looked into his eyes. You brought his focus of attention upon you. Sorrel frowned, debating how to explain. There are maladies of the body and maladies of the mind. Some years ago, wise men and women believed that the dancing sickness came from eating bread that had become moldy. But these wise minds observed that in other towns with dancing sickness there was no moldy bread. So how had they contracted the same sickness? ''Magic?'' Edric asked, hopefully. ''If magic is your answer to all questions, then you shall struggle to be a scholar,'' Sarl snapped. ''No. They had not contracted a malady of the body, but rather one of the mind.'' They saw others who danced and gyrated, and somehow the pattern of the dance became imprinted upon their minds. Their bodies were sound, but their minds were diseased. You cannot cure a disease with words, Edric said. I have seen men speak to those who would kill and turn them away from murder, Sarl said. I have seen women who could calm horses with the power of their speech, and my mother told me tales before bedtime of good and evil that have shaped the contours of my adult mind. Edric raised a thin hand. I shall not argue this. There is one more story I have. If you can disprove that it was magic... If you can provide an explanation of a possible natural cause, then I shall believe you that I am without the ability after all. My dear Edric, I am listening. This last caused the corners of Edric's mouth to turn up slightly. My dear master, two weeks before today there was another storm in my town. The summer of storms, as you have said. "'The riverbanks overflowed. "'Water flooded the roads and passages and threatened the town. "'All seemed lost until—' "'Until?' Edric shrugged. "'I raised a hand, and the waters drew back in an instant. "'There was no cessation of the storm. "'The flood continued elsewhere. "'The town was spared, but the surrounding areas were destroyed. "'The townspeople could not understand what had happened.' The temple priest believes the gods intervened on the town's behalf. I believe that I intervened. Sarles stared down at his oaken desk for a full minute. Then, looking back up at the young scholar, he shook his head. I cannot explain it. What? Edric asked. There's something you cannot explain? I take your jest in good humor, Sorrel said. For all of the tales you have recounted, I have provided reasonable explanations. I cannot explain how the Flood was turned back, whether you, the gods, or some natural phenomenon caused it to happen. He leaned forward and gazed at Edric. But I shall say this again. I would sooner believe in a natural phenomenon than in a magical power that has been extinct these past hundred years. Cyril did not say what he thought of the gods. Edric was lost in thought. His countenance now seemed softer, less troubled. Master, I wish to thank you. Have I helped, in the least? Sorrow asked. You have set my mind at rest, Edric admitted. Perhaps I wanted someone to follow the weaving path of my story and discover its errors. He got to his feet and gathered his robes, then grinned. Or perhaps I simply wished to visit with a favorite master once more. They clasped hands warmly. ''Magic does not exist,'' Sorrel said, seeing him to the door. ''However, I can tell you that other men who are partial to men such as yourself do indeed exist. I encourage you to find happiness in whatever form it takes.'' Edric nodded, and Sorrel closed the door behind him. ''A handsome man with his thoughtfulness and asceticism,'' Sorrel thought even if his logic was so often faulty. If only he were twenty years older, and if Edric were not his former student. But not every desire may be quenched. That part of Edric's trouble had been simple to deflect. Sorrel himself was partial to men, and since he knew he was of good heart, then being partial to men must be a good thing as well. But the magic! Sorrel's face darkened. Going over to the cupboard, he withdrew a locked box and, taking a small key from around his neck, unlocked its precious contents. There was a pendulum of luminous tiger's eye, a wand of purple amethyst, and a cloth of black velvet bearing runes and glyphs. He spread the velvet across his desk and, holding the wand in one hand, he suspended the pendulum above the circle of glyphs. Sorrel said the incantations, the magical words that would cause the pendulum to move. And nothing happened. And Sorrel sighed, wishing that it would move, but knowing that it never could. Still holding the pendulum, his thoughts turned back to Edric. Of course, were Edric to have the ability of magic, and were he very clever... Would it not make sense for him to come to Master Sorrel? Pretend that he had the ability of magic, and tell a story that Sorrel could easily dismiss? Reinforce the professor's belief that magic no longer existed, so that he, and others like him, could continue to practice magic in secret? Troubled by the thought, Sorrel mused further. Although it had been a century ago, records from the Restoration had been meticulous in order to ensure the purge of all who possessed magic. He had read those records. It was noted at the time that a large number of those with the ability of magic did not have husbands or wives. Those who did did not usually have children. Saul wondered, not for the first time, if those with the ability of magic were also those men who were partial to men. Or those women who are partial to women. He looked again at the pendulum and furrowed his brow. The tiger's eye had started spinning slowly in front of him, shifting from gold to reddish brown. A draft from the window, Sarl thought. It must be a draft from the window. Or why else would he feel such a chill?
0: Ah, look at that. The storm is settling and you are free to go. Of course, you're always welcome to sit by the fire and stay a while. There are many more nights and many more stories. Tonight's story was told by Joe Cruz. Find our credits, merch, and more stories at LavenderTavern.com.
1: Interested in having your short story told at the Lavender Tavern? Submit a copy of your writing to us at www.faustiannonsense.com forward slash Lavender Tavern submissions.
0: The Lavender Tavern is written by Jonathan Cohen and produced by Faustian Nonsense.